Today we begin a series titled, The God and Father of Our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus' understanding of God and how he presented him to people whose vision of God had become distorted. Now, so obviously the bulk of our work is going to be done in the Gospels with Jesus' own words. We're looking at Jesus' revelation of who God is. But I want to start, it might seem a little odd, I want to start in the first epistle of John. The reason will become clear momentarily. Many Bible teachers uh, believe John was the youngest of the apostles. Uh, some have suggested he may have still been in his teens when he joined Jesus. He spent approximately three years with Jesus day and night. They ate meals together, they worked together, they traveled together. After Jesus' ascension, John lived something like 50 or 60 more years. He had decades to go over and over what he had heard from Jesus. He'd heard Jesus speak on the kingdom of God, um, heard him talk about the law, heard him explain God's power, his absolute authority over humans, over nature. He'd heard Jesus talk about both God's punishment and God's love. So I want you to think, what if you had been in John's place? You were with Jesus night and day for three years. You ate with him, worked with him, traveled with him. You heard him speak on hundreds of occasions publicly and had hundreds of private conversations with him. You went to synagogue with him. You went fishing with him. You went through some life-threatening situations at his side. How would you summarize Jesus' message? Would you reference the kingdom of God, the law, righteousness, prayer, judgment, resurrection? How would you summarize all that you'd learned from Jesus in those three years? Oh, that's a tough assignment, isn't it? But let me make it even tougher. You have to do it in 11 words. Everything Jesus taught, summarize it in 11 words. That's what St. John does in his first epistle. He took all the things he'd ever heard Jesus say, and after spending decades thinking about them, talking to God about them, talking to other people about them, he summarized them in just 11 words. He said, and this is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we heard from him. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Here's the summary of everything I heard from Jesus about God. Here's his message. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Perhaps that's not how you or I would summarize Jesus' teaching. might not be how Matthew or Andrew or Peter, who were also with Jesus 24-7 for three years, would have done it. But it is how John summarized Jesus' message. According to John, what Jesus wanted people to know is that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Since our first parents, the temptations humans face again and again can be described as the temptation to doubt that God is light. Remember the temptation in the garden, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? And a shadow of doubt is introduced. God said that? Really? That doesn't sound right. 
And that was only the beginning. The temptation, see, was never simply disobey God. It was doubt God. You ever notice the serpent didn't say, ever, Eve, eat the fruit. Man, it's so good, eat it. Just, just eat it, you're going to love it, eat it. Never says that. Rather, the serpent said, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. And the implication is that God would prefer to keep his place to himself. He doesn't really want what's best for us. The insinuation is that God isn't as good as he would like people to think. The serpent introduced that idea into Eve's mind and implanted it in humanity. There's darkness in God. I found the thing that frequently turns people away from God, sometimes to atheism, usually to some form of self-ism. It's not about God, it's all about me. Is the idea that God is not all good. He's not all light. There's a dark side to him. I, I was recently talking to a man who has left Orthodox Christianity because of the idea that God isn't all good. He's wrestled with it. He's wrestled with the idea that there's darkness in God. How many people think that there's darkness in God? He's selfish. God's proud. God doesn't love everyone. I mean, Christians say that, but not really. He doesn't really love everyone, not Muslims. Not Hindus, not communists, not LGBTQ people. In some places, not Republicans, not Democrats. There's darkness in him. He's not all light. And how about the nations Israel drove out of Canaan? The people they fought and killed in wars. Didn't God order them to do that? There's darkness in him. Or what about all the people who've never heard of Jesus? Doesn't God send them to hell to endure eternal punishment? There must be darkness in him. What about my friend, just over 30 years old when he died of cancer, never got married, never had the joy of raising a child. How could a good God let that happen? Or what about us? When jobs fall through, when a spouse leaves, when a child rejects us or rejects God, if God really is all-powerful, he could make things happen differently if he wanted to. If he doesn't want to, how can he be good? How can he be light? There must be some darkness there. Now, you think these questions are new? That they weren't being asked in the first century? Of course they were. John's friends, the people with whom he also lived day and night for three years, and, and beyond that, his fellow apostles were wrongly imprisoned, and every one of them died by unnatural causes. John himself had been falsely accused and sentenced to exile on the island of Patmos, away from everybody he loved. More than that, he'd seen his friend, his best friend, his master, teacher, his king, die a horrible death at the hands of unjust men. A death that God allowed. He saw the same kind of evil in the world that we see in ours, and worse, 
Yet he could say that the message Jesus brought was this, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If that was really Jesus' message, if God is light and in him is no darkness at all, if St. John was right about that, then what seems to be darkness concerning him, things we think the Bible's saying or things that people teach about God are either untrue or we're not yet developed enough to see them for what they are, to see the light in them. And that's certainly possible. There may be light in God that we're incapable of seeing. So in the physical world, there's light that we can't see. Light that's visible to us is transmitted uh, along wavelengths of 400 to 700 nanometers. So if you see light, it's, it is communicated in that wavelength to you. But we can't see ultraviolet light, which is transmitted in shorter wavelengths. Some animals can, at least at the top of that frequency. But we can't. Maybe angels see light, glorious, dazzling light that we have never even imagined. If some thought about God seems to suggest that he is dark, it's either not true or we're not developed enough to see the light in it. For Jesus' message is that God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Since the garden, Satan has been whispering that there's darkness in God. And we humans have believed it. If you admit into your mind a belief that there is darkness in God, you will find your path to the joyful, purposeful life that Christ has for you blocked. Now, you may detour around a false idea for God, about God for a while, but you'll keep running into roadblocks. A false belief about God will hinder your progress and and your spiritual transformation. When Jesus came to earth, there are many things that people believed about God and taught about God that admitted darkness into his very nature. The, the vision of God was distorted, and Jesus re-envisions God for people. The, the message of Jesus, who St. John says, has made God known is revealed in Jesus that there's no darkness in God. Now, I'll give you some examples. When Jesus came, there were many people, both Jews and Gentiles, who thought that God is stingy. I mean, that's, there's probably better ways of putting it, but they thought you have to coax God into giving you anything. Down deep, he doesn't want to give to people. That's not light, that's darkness. Some people thought the way around the darkness was to bargain with the stingy God. You scratch his back, he'll scratch yours, maybe. So people would bring offerings or give money to a priest to leverage God into giving them what they wanted. It's a, it's a sort of religious version of Archimedes, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to set it, and I'll move the world, and I'll move God. But any God that can be so leveraged or who needs to be leveraged to do the right thing, is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's nothing like that. Jesus taught us and showed us that God, his Father, is generous. He's a giver. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus not only told us this, he showed us. By giving his life, he revealed that 
God so loved the world that he gave, gave his son. Yet to this day, many people, maybe some of us, think of God in that way. They make vows to God, promise him things, they give to the church or to charity in the hopes of working a deal. If God doesn't give them what they want, they feel cheated. God hasn't been fair to them. But the God and Father, our Lord Jesus, is not stingy at all. He, as Brother James learned from Jesus and later put it, gives generously to all without nitpicking, my paraphrase. He's not stingy. He's light all the way through. You can be sure if he doesn't give you something, he doesn't give it to you out of his love, not out of stinginess. Here's another one. When Jesus came to earth, many Jewish people thought that God was cliquish. If you, you met the right religious and social standards, God would take you in. Otherwise, you're always going to be an outsider. A God who keeps people out was attractive to those who wanted the inside for themselves. The us against them God has always been very popular. But he's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see this in the Gospels. The Pharisees, the religious scholars, the wealthy, they thought themselves of themselves as being on the inside. We're the insiders. The irreligious, the poor, and the uneducated were on the outside which is right where they wanted them, out there. And of course, the religious protected, projected their attitude onto God. Instead of being remade in his image, they were remaking him in theirs. So Jesus came and opened the door to people on the outside and invited them in. This is one of the main reasons opposition against Jesus arose. You read about it again and again in the Gospels. He liked the wrong people. And he suggested that God liked them too. His opponents thought his approach was reckless. His message about God's love was misleading and dangerous. His attitude and teaching communicated acceptance to sinners and implied that God accepted them too. But if sinners believe God loves them in spite of their sin, what motivation will they have to change? And so people Proclaim this message. God hates you, and he's going to continue hating you until you change. And we'll hate you too. When some of these folks looked at God, they saw darkness. But the Godfather of Jesus is light. In him there is no darkness. By both his teaching and example, Jesus proclaimed this God. He taught that God loves the world and gave his only son for it. He taught that all heaven erupts in joyous celebration every time a person leaves his or her sin and comes to God. Heaven just rejoices at that. You know, he taught this, he lived it. He ate with people, sign of acceptance in his culture in a way that isn't true in our culture. A sign of acceptance. People who were outsiders, by hanging out with them, he showed that his father God wants everyone on the inside. Anyone can come in. 
They just have to leave the darkness to do it. They can't bring the darkness with them. Here's another distortion. Some of the people to whom Jesus spoke believe that God is a kind of cosmic accountant, a religious bean counter where the beans are good deeds and especially religious deeds. They believe that God watches over people, not because he loves them and wants to show himself to them. So like 2 Chronicles 16:9, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully his. He's not watching them so he can show himself to them. He's watching them to make sure they do all the religious things that he requires of them. They had the idea that God made people so there would be someone to follow the rules. Not that he made the rules so that people could thrive and live lives of love and joy. Here's the thing. John himself, this young John who meets Jesus, almost certainly grew up believing some of these things. Dark things about God. From Jesus, John learned that God is light, always light. He's light when he heals, and he's light when he doesn't. He's light when he judges. He's light when he rescues. He's light when he hates sin. He's light when he loves sinners. What John came to understand is that the true God is just like Jesus. He's a spitting image. And that's good news. That was revolutionary good news. It was so liberating, so joyous and good that John never got over it. 50 years later, he still marveled at it. 50 years later, the best way he could find to summarize the message of Jesus was to say, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. How should knowing that God is light impact us? First, when something is said about God that seems dark to us, we should be careful about accepting it, even if it comes from someone in authority, even if it comes from someone we admire. Now, it's possible that it is light, but that there's so much darkness in us still that we can't see it. But if we can't see it, the safest thing is to say, I don't understand it, but I know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is light. For us to know the God who is light, and this is the very point John was making in 1 John chapter 1, we must come into the light ourselves. As long as you're in the darkness, God's going to seem dark to you. We can't live in darkness and know the God who's light. So this is verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we, we lie and do not live by the truth. To the degree there's darkness in us, we'll not know him. And to the degree that we do not know him, we will not trust him. And to the degree that we do not trust him, we will not live free, loving, attractive lives. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. That might be hard for you to believe because of what you've been taught or what you've experienced 
Will you ask God to reveal himself truly to you over the course of this series? Ask him to remove the false ideas that you have and don't even know you have and replace them with truth as we see Jesus talking about his father. Knowing God, according to Jesus, is eternal life. Knowing him is the key of wisdom that unlocks the door to joy that leads to the glory of God. So let's know him truly. I want to close with a story that the psychologist Larry Crabb told. So he had a friend who grew up in a home that was really angry. There's always yelling and insults and sometimes threats. Mealtimes were the worst of all. Uh, it, meals, either it was cold and absolutely silent or it was sarcastic and mean. Just down the street from where this kid grew up, there was an old house with a big porch, and the family that lived there was a really happy family. So when Crab's friend told him about this, he told him when he was 10, he would excuse himself from dinner as quickly as possible, as soon as he thought he could get away with it without being yelled at. And he would walk down to that house, and if dinner was going on, he would crawl underneath the porch and just sit there and listen to the family inside as they talked and laughed together. So Larry Crabb asked him to imagine what it would have been like if the dad in that house somehow found out that he was hiding under the porch and sent his son to invite him in. He told him to envision what it would have meant for him to accept that invitation, to sit at that table with that family, to accidentally spill his water, which he had done in his home and got yelled at viciously, but to spill his water and hear the father roar with laughter, saying, get him more water and a dry shirt. I want him to enjoy this meal. I have two reasons for sharing that story. One, to introduce to you what we'll be looking at next week, a very important message. God our Father. And two, to get you to reflect on how you think of God. What you think of when you think of God is fundamentally important to your experience of life. It'll either propel you forward or hold you back from the strong, joyful, purposeful life that God has for you. Now let's pray, and I'm going to ask you to take a moment. and ask, Would you talk to God? Would you ask him to reveal himself to you in ways that are true and open up the future that he has for you to you? Maybe you don't even know God exists. That's all right. Say, God, if you're there, would you do this for me? Would you show me who you are?
Lord, we can't see you as you really are. Not, not even a glimpse without being changed. But Lord, we are asking for more than a glimpse. Would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you so that every time we meet, and even when we're alone, we will see who you are. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.